Well, our text this morning uh, is a few verses from Ephesians 5, verses 17 through 21. But as we prepare to look to that, I'd like to read with you um, that chapter, starting at verse 1, continuing through verse 21, because um, this all really holds together in a sense and builds. Recognize that Ephesians is a progressive book. That is, uh, each passage builds on those that preceded. And so the first half of the book talks about how God chose His people from before time, that we might be saved, that we might be reconciled to Him, that we might be adopted as His children in Christ through faith. And then he talks about how in doing that, he knit together the covenant people of old, Israel, with the Gentiles whom he set apart for himself. And these now all are one people, such that we are now the new Israel in Christ. We are now the new Judaism, as it were. And as such, we are called to cultivate unity. We are called, chapter 4, under the leadership of our elders and ministers of the office bears God sets over us to cultivate a new lifestyle, turning away from the old, embracing the new. And that involves all of life. Chapter 4 ends with the Lord calling us to a new communication, to a new way of interacting with one another and um, experiencing each other. And then he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved family of God in Christ, from the time of our first Thanksgiving in Plymouth Plantation, 
Our nation has set one day apart every year as a time to show our thanks. Although traditions vary from family to family and region to region, the day is typically marked by remembering how we've been blessed, dining on turkey and stuffing, potatoes and pie, resting from our labor in the company of family and friends. Now to be very clear, there is absolutely nothing wrong in such celebrating and feasting. In fact, a survey of the books of Moses shows that God himself often commended times of rest and feasting to commemorate the good things that he had done, the good ways in which he had provided. However, there is a substantial difference between the ways that we, that, that we celebrate and feast and the ways that those of the world, those who remain separated from God, celebrate and feast. Now this book from which we're reading, Ephesians, this book speaks from the start of the graciousness with which God has treated us. The multitude of reasons that we have to be thankful. And in this section, he becomes quite practical in applying that truth of who we are to the lifestyle that we ought to live, how we shall be. Chapter 5 comes in the midst of that practical exposition showing the various ways in which there should be an antithesis an absolute difference between how those who are of the world, those who remain in rebellion against God, live versus how those who are in Christ live. They are in darkness, we are in light. They live in hatred, we live in love. They embrace that which will tear down and destroy while we seek to build up and treat one another with the selflessness of Christ. You see, we, beloved, have been adopted as the children of God, the sons and daughters of our Creator. And therefore, He's called us to serve Him by imitating Him. But what did we hear at the very start of our chapter? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Certainly, that involves our forgiveness, but it also involves everything else, including the way we give thanks. And the text that we have before us, verses 17 to 21, show us that while that might be typified in what we do this one day out of the year, and it's a good thing when we do that, it ought also to overflow into all of life. It ought to be typified by the way we treat each other today, the way we live together today, but it ought to overflow into all that we do. And so the theme that we find here is that God calls His children to embrace a life of thanksgiving. He calls his children to embrace a life of thanksgiving. And that life of thanksgiving to which we're called is a life that, first of all, is driven by a divine filling. And that's our first point. But notice as we get into that point that he is talking here about all of life. Special times of feasting are included in that, but the apostle's instruction here relates to how we work how we interact with our families, how we relate to our neighbors and our co-workers, how we employ ourselves. In that all-encompassing context, we as God's people are called not to be foolish, but to be wise in the Lord. You were in darkness, now you're in light. You were haters of God, now you're loved and lovers. You were foolish, now you're to be wise 
In that context, he tells us, verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a contrast there between two different kinds of celebration, two different means of feasting and filling. The first half of that contrast involves how the world feasts and fills. He uses wine. Now, to be clear, it is not wrong to consume wine. Jesus himself, his first miracle during his earthly ministry was turning water into wine at a feast, and it was good wine. Isaiah speaks about how wine was given to cause men to rejoice, as do the Psalms. And Paul commended wine to Timothy. However, wine, as a good gift of God, can also be abused and misused. When we do that, we call it drunkenness. And such drunkenness, Paul says, is debauchery. Now, what does that word mean? The Greek word is asotia, which literally means unsavedness. What he's saying is drunkenness is reveling in lostness. Reveling in the passions of the flesh which characterized us before we came to the Lord. And really, that's what drunkenness encourages, isn't it? It decreases our inhibitions. Kids, inhibitions refers to that work of your conscience that tells you that's wrong, don't do that. It's that feeling that you get when you know you're about to do something you shouldn't. And when we have too much wine or any other alcohol, it decreases our inhibitions. It allows us to do what we, if we were sober, wouldn't do in embracing sin. He says when we embrace drunkenness, we embrace debauchery. We embrace that lostness of our old lives. And you see, that's what drives the celebrations of the world. They take those good gifts of God, not just wine, but food and possessions and intimacy and all of these other good things God has given, and they misuse them in such a way as to deepen and revel in their depravity. They try to block out their conscience and lower their inhibitions and dive headfirst into the pool of of rebellion in which they normally simply wade. And God says, you were made for something better. As my children, you're made to embrace something better. The wisdom that reflects God's will calls us to be filled not with wine, but with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now that's an interesting statement, because the word that's used there, plerao, can can be used to, can be interpreted, translated in two different ways. Either be filled or be completed. And I think that's a double meaning that's very intentional. Be filled with the Spirit is a strange thing to say, because... We can't go to the store and buy the Holy Spirit, right? It's not something we can obtain on our own. We are passive in the filling of the Spirit. It's like telling someone, be tall or be American. How can I do that, right? But he says, be filled with the Spirit because he wants us to long for that. He wants us to desire that which only God can give, to plead for a deeper and fuller possession of the Spirit, that we might be completed. 
Because you see, that's what the Spirit is doing in us. He's completing us. When we were born, we were born dead. We were born broken. We were born not able to do that for which we were created, which was to reflect the image of God in a way that brings Him glory. But the more the Spirit takes over our lives, the more the Spirit molds and shapes and transforms us, the more we begin to reflect Him. The more the world looks on us and they see the character of Christ. And so it's for that that we must long. It's for that that we must pray. And it's that which we must cultivate. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't go home. I'm not saying go home and dump out all your wine, right? But I am saying use it unto the glory of God, right? In all that we do, we do it with self-control. We do it with spirit control. We do it seeking to bring glory and honor to God. We do it praying that God would allow this conversation, this feast, this celebration, this prayer, this everything I do to reflect Him to honor Him and to demonstrate that His power is at work within us. And if that's the case, it will transform absolutely everything else. We're going to get into that in a minute, but I want to encourage you. Please understand, I'm not trying to dampen the feast ahead. I think it is a very good thing that we sit at a table filled with good things and we enjoy them to the Lord. And that's what I think this text is calling us to do. To not just dive in and fulfill all the desires of the flesh, but rather to look at that table and stop and say, this is representative. As we look at that beautiful turkey and the mashed potatoes and the sweet potatoes and, and all of the other stuff and the pies that sit on the sideboard. Oh. And we recognize that that is merely a representative feast of the good things with which God fills our lives every single day. And not just the good things with which He feeds us. That's representative of the health that He gives us, of the jobs, of the gifts, of the family. That's representative of His presence in our lives with which He fills our souls. So pause before you fill that plate. Stop your fork on the way to your mouth. Recognize what it all represents and give Him thanks. And then as that fork is moving toward your lips, ask Him that He would fill you with the Spirit even as He's filling you with these good delicacies. That more and more you might reflect Him to a watching world. That increasingly you might demonstrate His character and give Him praise both today and in every day that follows. And then the rest of our text talks about what that looks like. And what it shows us is that if we are filled with His divine power, then we're going to demonstrate His divine character. And it shows us that with four parallel phrases that are representative of the divine character that we're going to have if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. First of all, he says... Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's interesting. How many people, it's kind of funny and kind of sad, how many people in our circles, that is, Reformed folks, who are very careful normally in the way they interpret Scripture, 
to understand it in its original context and within the context of that book and its historical context. They'll take that statement and try to use it to demonstrate what we should do in worship. Some point out that psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are headings of different songs within the Psalter. And so they'll say that what God's telling us there is in worship, we should only sing psalms. And others say, no, 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 psalms and hymns and spiritual. God's telling us we should not only sing psalms. You know what? He's not talking about worship there. He's talking about life. He's talking about how we interact with each other. He's saying those songs, see, God knows us. He knows that those wonderful psalms and songs that we so love, that we sing every week, that hopefully we're singing in our homes and in our hearts, they are filled with glorious truths about who God is and what He's like and what He's done and what He's promised. And what He's saying is that if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to speak to one another those truths that we've learned as we gather here as a congregation and sing. We're going to, throughout life, not just in worship, but throughout life, when we see that our sister is struggling, she's grieving, she's going through a dark time, we're going to come alongside her and say, remember, the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. He's the one who leads us to to quiet waters and green pastures. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He's there with us, guiding us, leading us. He sets a table before us. Even in the presence of our enemies, we can trust Him and we'll be in His presence forevermore. You see how comforting that is. And when, when it seems like everybody's against your dear brother, there's people coming against him at work or maybe even in his family attacking him, We remind him, a mighty fortress is our God. You know, we would be utterly undone. We're not the right man at our side, the man of God's choosing, but he is. You see how those songs, those hymns and psalms are able to equip us to bring the hope and the help and the encouragement and the strength that one another needs Because God didn't make us to do this life on our own. We're not okay with it. We're not good at it. We plummet into darkness. Which is why he gave us each other. Which is why he told us that we are the body of Christ. Christ as the head. We all as different members of the body. He has gathered us together as one. And one of the ways that we minister to each other is by speaking together those truths that we've been taught when we've been worshiping together. But not only to one another. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, he says. In other words, commune with God within. He doesn't want us to just put on a show. That's what the Pharisees did, and that's why Jesus condemned them as whitewashed graves. They were worried about what other people thought. They were worried about what other people saw. And we can be tempted to that. Can't we? Kids, you've got to be on your best behavior. We're going to be in church. I mean, do behave nicely. But 
What's important isn't what other people think. What's important is how, who we are before God. And that doesn't come natural. So he tells us to sing and make melody to the Lord in our hearts, to focus on him. We live in a loud age. Watch a group of anybody under 30, and oftentimes, increasingly, those over. If they get more than a minute of silence, whether silence in the crowd or downtime at work, what happens? Out comes the phone, up comes TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or pick your app. Because we can't have that moment of mental silence, right? Even the little kids, they're playing on their tablet. We need to learn to put the electronics away. We learn, need to learn to put the noise away and take up Psalm 23, Psalm 121, Psalm 91, Psalm 92, a song for the Sabbath. And use those to meditate on the Lord. Use those to speak to the Lord. Use those to pray to the Lord. Psalm 33, that beautiful song of praise that we heard before. Psalm 103, which calls us to thank the Lord for our salvation and our provision. And we need to fill our hearts with that. Talking to the Lord when no one's looking, when no one's watching. When you're going down the road, shut the songs off. Certainly shut the cell phone off. And focus on Him. Find yourself, maybe turn the phone back on, find a playlist of psalms and sing them along in your heart. Or good hymns that lead you to commune with the Lord. Cultivating that relationship with Him in your quiet time. This too is a way that we show thanks. And not only that, in verse 20, giving thanks... Always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I have found through the years that I am not alone in finding that it's very easy to pray when everything falls apart. When the wheels fall off, I can fall to my knees with ease because I know I need, my, need help. But when things are going great, a lot harder. But he calls us to give thanks. Not just one day out of the year. But 365 of them. Seeking to recognize every day and throughout the day all of the good God has given us. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day of rain because the land needs it. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day of sun. It's been a while. Right? Recognizing that everything we receive comes from the Lord. And notice how all comprehensive that is. Giving thanks always. Not just when you feel like it. Not just when you sit down at the table. Not just when it's obvious. But always. And for everything. Not too hard to give thanks to God when I'm holding my grandson. It's a lot harder to give thanks when I'm facing up to my own sin. Or when I'm buried in work and I want to be with my grandson. Or when the car broke again. Or when I'm paying bills. Or when the doctor says some things that I don't really want to hear. But God says he wants us to give thanks always. In all circumstances. Why? 
because He is absolutely sovereign. There's nothing we receive. Even the hard stuff we receive is from His hand. Paul talks about having a thorn in the flesh. And that thorn in the flesh, he pleaded with God to get rid of it. And God didn't. Instead, he said, you need to learn that my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul had to learn to give thanks for that thorn in the flesh. Because that thorn in the flesh reminded him that he, Paul, was not sufficient. That he needed to rely on God every moment of every day for everything. And so do we. We need to learn to give thanks also for the hard things, also for the painful things. Because these things, frankly, these things are what give us spiritual growth. These things are what draw us close to the Lord. These things demonstrate the power of God that is so tangible we can touch it. Give thanks always and for all things, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is it to submit to one another? I'll tell you what it is, it's hard. We don't like to submit to each other. We like... We like to command each other. We like to be served by one another. Sometimes we like to be left alone by others. But submitting to one another, that means taking what I want to do and putting it on a shelf so I can do what she wants to do. That means taking my power and my ideas and my guidance and hitting the brakes on that so that I can do what he needs me to do. That's harder. There's no glory in that. Unless we turn it to our glory. But he doesn't tell us that. In fact, fact, the, the sections that follow this give three clear demonstrations of how we are to submit to one another. How wives are to submit to their husbands. How children are to submit to their parents. How servants are to submit to their masters. Those are hard things because there's no glory outwardly in them. But we're not doing it for a reward. We're not doing it for glory. We're doing it out of gratitude to God because God Himself, who deserved the glory and the honor of absolutely every single person, set aside His glory to become a child in a nowhere town of nobody parents. To suffer all of the stuff that we have to suffer. To learn obedience. To live in obscurity. But to do it all perfectly because we didn't. And then to suffer all that we deserved because we couldn't. So that we could be reconciled to God which we don't deserve. He submitted to the Father and therefore submitted to mankind so that we could know the glory of belonging to God and we're called to reflect Him. We're called to reflect Christ. That's why, children, that's why you lovingly, humbly serve your parents and why you lovingly, joyfully serve your siblings and your friends. It's because we're called to reflect Christ. And when we do that, the world will look at us and some of them, they'll think, what a chump. I would never. And others will look at us and go, what a weirdo. Why would you do that? But they'll notice. They'll notice and eventually they'll ask, why? Why do you serve people? Why do you put yourself last? Why do you not seek your own glory? And then you get to tell them about Jesus. How he humbled himself to the dust that we might be exalted to heaven. 
And that is the greatest calling we could ever have. Beloved, God wants us to give Him our thanks in celebration and in feasting. The celebrating we do today is a task both holy and good. Yet let us not celebrate as the world celebrates. Diving into the passions of the flesh, seeking to lower our inhibitions, striving in all things to put me first. Let us instead recognize all the good that we have been given as a gift from God. Let us pray to Him that we might be filled with the Spirit and then let us resolve anew that our lives will be characterized by the divine character of Christ. That is the greatest song of thanks we can sing to God. That will bring Him glory and that will draw us ever closer to Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for You have blessed us beyond all measure. You've blessed us physically and spiritually. You've blessed us in ways that we can't even recognize. And you've blessed us above all else with your son Jesus and the salvation that he has brought. Fill us and complete us by your spirit, we pray. And cause us more each day to demonstrate the character of your beloved son. As we speak to one another the truths that we sing as we sing and make melody in our hearts to you, as we learn to give you thanks in all circumstances, and as you teach us to submit to one another, as Christ submitted unto our salvation. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.